You're listening to the Cyberwire Network, powered by N2K. This episode is brought to you by Palo Alto Networks, the leader in cybersecurity. As AI-driven attacks increase, organizations can't afford to have network security that's stuck in the past. Discover how Palo Alto Networks can help you predict what's coming and proactively secure against it with a zero-trust, AI-powered network security platform built to secure whatever, whenever, wherever. To learn more, visit paloaltonetworks.com slash network security platform. When it comes to ensuring your company has top-notch security practices, things can get complicated and time-consuming fast. Now you can assess risk, secure the trust of your customers, and automate compliance for SOC 2, ISO 27001, HIPAA, and more with a single platform, Vanta. Vanta's leading trust management platform helps you continuously monitor compliance alongside reporting and tracking risk. Plus, save time by completing security questionnaires with Vanta AI. Learn why thousands of global companies use Vanta to automate evidence collection, unify risk management, and streamline security reviews. Watch Vanta's on-demand demo at vanta.com cyber. That's V-A-N-T-A dot cyber. The Vulcan Papers offer a glimpse into Mr. Putin's cyber war room, the 3CX desktop app vulnerability and supply chain risk, a cross-site scripting flaw in Azure Service Fabric Explorer can lead to remote code execution, Rob Boyce from Accenture Security on threats to EV charging stations, our guest is Steve Benton from Anomaly Threat Research, sharing a less-is-more approach to cybersecurity, and Alien Fox targets misconfigured servers. From the CyberWire studios at Data Tribe, I'm Dave Bittner with your CyberWire summary for Friday, March 31st, 2023. A disaffected insider has apparently leaked sensitive information about Russia's preparation and waging of cyber warfare. NTC Vulcan, a Moscow-based IT consultancy, has been exposed as a major contractor to all three of the principal Russian intelligence services, the GRU, the SVR, and the FSB. Vulcan's specialty is the development of tools for cyber attack. Der Spiegel, one of a group of media outlets that broke the story, sources it to a major leak, stating, This is all chronicled in 1,000 secret documents that include 5,299 pages full of project plans, instructions, and internal emails from Vulcan from the years 2016 to 2021. Despite being all in Russian and completely technical in nature, they provide unique insight into the depths of Russian cyber warfare plans. 
in a militarized country that doesn't just fight with warplanes, tanks, and artillery, but with hackers and software. The Vulcan papers reveal that the company is engaged in supporting a full range of offensive cyber operations. Its services and products extend to espionage, disinformation, and disruptive attacks intended to sabotage infrastructure, and the company also provides training to its customers in the security and intelligence fields. The Washington Post, another recipient of the leaks, ascribes them to a disaffected insider who's motivated by opposition to Mr. Putin's war against Ukraine. The Post reports, an anonymous person provided the documents from the contractor, NTC Vulcan, to a German reporter after expressing outrage about Russia's attack on Ukraine. The leak, an unusual occurrence for Russia's secretive military-industrial complex, demonstrates another unintended consequence of President Vladimir Putin's decision to take his country to war. The anonymous leaker explained the motivation behind their actions, stating, The company is doing bad things, and the Russian government is cowardly and wrong. I am angry about the invasion of Ukraine and the terrible things that are happening there. I hope you can use this information to show what is happening behind closed doors. They also told their German contact when declining to provide identification, that they intend to vanish like a ghost for obvious reasons of personal security. Taken as a whole, the documents show that Russia is devoting considerable attention to cyber battle space preparation. Keep those shields up. Many companies' research units are reporting that a vulnerability in the widely used 3CX desktop app is being exploited in a supply chain campaign that may prove as significant as, for example, the SolarWinds incident. Sentinel-1, Sophos, and CrowdStrike have all made public reports about the intrusion, with 3CX itself issuing its own warning yesterday morning. A supply chain attack on enterprise phone company 3CX may have compromised thousands of business networks, the record reported yesterday. The company, which Bleeping Computer says provides services to companies like American Express, Coca-Cola, McDonald's, BMW, Honda, Air France, Toyota, Mercedes-Benz, IKEA, and the UK's National Health Service, confirmed yesterday that its desktop app had contained malware. The desktop app, TechCrunch reports, is used for voice and video calls. Chief executive of 3CX, Nick Galea, initially noted surprise in a Twitter thread that the compromise was not reported by Sentinel-1 sooner, but Sentinel-1's Juan Andres Guerrosade noted the issue's presence in 3CX's support forums as far back as March 22nd. Security Week reports that 3CX Chief Information Security Officer Pierre Jordan said that the intrusion could be the work of a state-sponsored advanced persistent threat. He said, The issue appears to be one of the bundled libraries that we compiled into the Windows Electron app via Git. Worth mentioning, this appears to have been a targeted attack from an advanced persistent threat, perhaps even state-sponsored, that ran a complex supply chain attack and picked who would be downloading the next stages of their malware. The vast majority of systems, although they had the files dormant, were in fact never infected. Cybersecurity firm Huntress has reported almost 2,800 intrusions within their partner base. CrowdStrike also confirmed activity on both Windows and Mac OS and found the malware to be notarized by Apple, which the outlet says indicates that the tech giant checked it for malicious elements and failed to find any. 
However, that seems to no longer be the case, as users are now seeing a warning before the installation of the app. The approximately 400-megabyte Mac application was confirmed by Patrick Wardle to contain suspicious activity, the outlet reports. TechCrunch notes that Linux, iOS, and Android versions of the app still appear unaffected at this time. Researchers at Orca Security discovered a cross-site scripting vulnerability affecting Azure Service Fabric Explorer. The vulnerability, which Orca calls Super Fabrics, can allow remote attackers to leverage an XSS vulnerability to achieve remote code execution on a container hosted on a Service Fabric node without the need for authentication. Microsoft issued a patch for the flaw in its March 2023 Patch Tuesday fixes, Organizations that have updated Service Fabric Explorer to the latest version are protected against this vulnerability. For more on this vulnerability, see CyberWire Pro. And finally, we close with a look at another commodity being traded in the criminal-to-criminal market. Sentinel-1 describes Alien Fox, a toolset designed to steal credentials and API keys from at least 18 cloud service providers. The toolset is being sold over Telegram and is under active development. Alien Fox opportunistically targets misconfigured web servers, hosting web frameworks such as Laravel, Drupal, Joomla, Magento, OpenCart, PrestaShop, and WordPress. The toolkit will then dump the server's configuration files and extract cloud API keys and secrets. The researchers state that the spread of Alien Fox represents an unreported trend toward attacking more minimal cloud services unsuitable for crypto mining in order to enable and expand subsequent campaigns. Coming up after the break, Rob Boyce from Accenture Security looks at threats to EV charging stations. Our guest is Steve Benton from Anomaly Threat Research, sharing a less-is-more approach to cybersecurity. Stay with us. In the complex world of enterprise identity, securing legacy web apps at scale can be daunting. Strata Identity makes it simple. With Strata, you can effortlessly integrate non-standard apps with any identity service, like MFA or SSO, with zero coding and zero hassle. Designed by identity architects for identity architects, Strata works with every vendor, standard, and app architecture. This means your apps can now speak modern protocols and integrate seamlessly with your chosen identity services. From securing on-prem web apps to migrating away from outdated identity providers or consolidating them, Strata helps you keep your complex access policies as you modernize your identity infrastructure and get rid of technical debt. Join leading organizations like 3M, Dallas County, and CIBC in securing your apps with Strata. Visit strata.io slash cyberwire, share your identity security priorities, and receive a complimentary pair of AirPods Pro. Offer valid for organizations with over 5,000 employees. Connect today at strata.io slash cyberwire.
honest. Do you consider yourself a security tools pack rat? It's easy to do these days, with vendors making the compelling case that if only you add their special solution that protects like no other, your organization will be safer, you'll sleep better at night, and will receive the admiration of friends, family, and co-workers alike. Steve Benton is VP of Threat Research at Anomaly, and he makes the case that when it comes to security tools, sometimes less is more. Every tool that you've got is creating data. Um, it's, it's causing cost to you as an organization in terms just to operate the technology, but also those that have to look after it and process what it produces. And is that aligned to your current threat landscape and the current threats in, in which you're facing? Is the legacy of what you've acquired holding you back uh, as an organization? And you can't let go of the past in order to grab what, what you need to in order to assure yourself uh, in, in, into the future. Uh, this is a big challenge for um, any organization and especially in the security sphere because let's face it, security is an overhead for an organization. It's part of your cost base and uh, you need to be exercising that cost base in the most effective and efficient way possible. But you need to ensure then that you've got that means to assess what do you truly need uh, from what you've acquired and what do you need to acquire going forward And can you justify that and put the budgets in place uh, to to make that happen? How do you recommend that organizations go about that that self-assessment? Well, you've got to do it with rigor. You've got to do it with honesty. Uh, The simplest way that I've approached doing it uh, in in my past is I sort of draw, if you like, a bell curve. I could even call it like a hype cycle. Uh, And so let's imagine at the very top of this bell curve, are the tools that you've assessed that are absolutely hitting the sweet spot. Uh, they're working in an optimal way for the organization and they're working efficiently in terms of the effort that you need to place within them in order for them to operate, not just individually, but how they operate as part of your ecosystem. So any good security ecosystem has a set of overlapping um, and, and amplifying controls that um, you know, meet the needs of maintaining the security posture for the organization. If we look at the left-hand side, you've maybe got tool sets that you've acquired fairly recently uh, that are still on that adoption slope. You haven't quite pulled them up the slope to get them into that sweet spot of operation. But that could be because of what's sitting on the right-hand side of this slope. So these are the tools that really have sort of established themselves, but they aren't really hitting the mark. Uh, you're continuing to feed and water them. You're continuing to utilize the output because you kind of have to process it because maybe that's the way you're judged. That's the way your KPIs are judged in your security operations. But fundamentally, they aren't delivering the impact for you on the organization. So what do you need to do? Well, you need to exit those tools on the right-hand side of the slope. You've got to accelerate the adoption up to the top of the slope and then be sure of the ground you're standing on at the top of that slope in terms of what is the value these overlapping tools are giving you for your security posture. Why have you selected them and how are they justified going into the future? So these are hard yards, but they're necessary and allow you as a security leader to stand in front of your investors, your board, your senior leadership team and the rest of the business to say why this expenditure is worthwhile and the value it's delivering to the organization. What is the danger of being over-provisioned here? I mean, is is it a risk of things collapsing under their own weight? There is an element of that for sure. Um, The more you've got, you're clearly adding to the complexity of your security um, operation. So being able to see the clarity of the visibility 
of your security posture is absolutely vital. Now, that clarity can be you know, achievable when you're operating in what I call peacetime. So what do I mean by peacetime? Not that nothing's happening, but nothing of significant harm to your organization is currently happening. You have no cresting threats uh, that are significant to the organization. You have no current attack that you're aware of that's dangerous to your organization. You're operating in a reasonably steady state. I maintain the visibility with a complex set of tool sets. You can live with that. But then when you move into a wartime situation where you've got a complex threat approaching the organization, you possibly have parts of the organization that are already compromised and you're trying to understand the extent of that. And you've got a complex ecosystem which can't give you answers with the immediacy that you need. Well, you've lost the precision of your security operation. In fact, you've lost the grip of your security posture right when you need it most. And that's the danger for the organization is that complexity but also the overhead in terms of the effort of people that need to be skilled and understand how to bring those tool sets together. You're asking too much, especially when the chips are down in that kind of wartime situation. You know, I'm reminded of, there was an old saying in, in advertising, you know, back in the, the Mad Men days of, uh, you know, I, I know that 50% of my spend on advertising is wasted. I just don't know which 50%. Is that sort of philosophy at play here where there's, you know, people are afraid to shed some of these security tools because there's there's always that what if over the horizon. What if that's the tool that, that stops the threat? And if I get rid of that tool, I'll be blamed for having gotten rid of that tool that might have stopped the threat. Well, you're absolutely right. And in fact, we know, you know, security vendors um, are always saying, you know, you need our tool. We're the ones that would define this. We're the ones that would keep you safe. So there's an element of that. There's also an element with your security teams themselves that they have got comfortable with certain tool sets um, and they, they're happy to live their lives there. But what you actually need to do is to enlist your security operations, your top analysts, your leaders in your security operations to come together and say, look, guys, you know, we don't have any, any sacred tools here. Let's actually take a step back together. Let's look at this slope Let's look at what's up at the top of the hill and whether it's working effectively for us. Let's look at what's sliding down the right-hand side. And you know what? I support you in making a bold decision to say, we will exit that, but we'll understand why we have done it. And we will have convinced ourselves that what we're sticking with and what we're downsizing to is the effective set of tools that will take us through having the grip on our security posture now and into the future as we anticipate the threats coming forward. That's Steve Benton from Anomaly. There's a lot more to this conversation. If you want to hear more, head on over to the CyberWire Pro and sign up for Interview Selects, where you'll get access to this and many more extended interviews. Joining me once again is Robert Boyce. He is Managing Director and Global Lead for Cyber Resilience at Accenture. Uh, Rob, it's always great to welcome you back to the show. You know, uh, my wife is currently car shopping, and that means that one of the things she's considering is getting an EV car, an electric car. And so 
We've been weighing all the pros and cons with that. And I know you and your colleagues have been looking at EV cars and charging stations and some of the potential vulnerabilities there. What can you share with us today? Hi, Dave, and thanks so much for having me back. And as an EV owner myself, I am also very passionate about this topic. So, you know, it's, it's, this is, of course, something the security community has been talking about a lot. Uh, it just happens to be now that we're seeing so many more EVs on the road that the topic's coming up, even, it's becoming even more prevalent. And, you know, I, I think it's, it's interesting because a lot of people are always asking, well, don't, you know, combustion engine cars have computer chips. Why are we not concerned about them? And I think it's just the the absolute magnitude of the you know, the presence of the computer computerized cars in the EV. Like a standard combustion engine maybe has 100, 150 chips in it, where these EVs are having 20 times that. So as you can imagine, the, the, the exposure is, is just um, phenomenal. Uh, and then when you think about the connectivity that these cars have, either being, you know, they typically have connections back to the the, the manufacturer or the dealers, or, or maybe even the the rental agency. Um, uh, you know, just that 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 level of uh, tax surface makes them a very uh, potentially interesting target for threat actors. So, what are the primary concerns here? I mean, are we talking about ransomware? Are we talking about privacy issues? What are you all tracking? Yeah, it's a great question. And so, you know, what what we've seen in in the research is that there's um, there's a number of different uh, possible threat scenarios. Uh, a ransomware is a great one. So, as you as you know, we've seen ransomware for the last several years be a very big uh, vulnerability for for organizations. But imagine. You know, threat actors were able to ransom your car, and you couldn't start it without having to pay them, or um, you know, or being able to move from 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 a charging station into a car, or take and maybe even take over, or or uh, penetrate a, an EV manufacturer because they all have over the air updates and being able to you know use that network to compromise many vehicles simultaneously. These these potential scenarios are are, are super fascinating. Um, and of course, as you can imagine, um, there's a human safety element to this as well. Like, so as you're, as you're in your car and someone's able to take over your car and, and maybe start driving it for you, um, you know, and you don't have the control anymore, that's a, that's a huge concern. Um, and we haven't seen this happen in the wild yet, but we have seen researchers successfully take over a car and make it drive erratically uh, in the test scenario. What about the charging stations themselves? I mean, is it... To what degree is there actually relevant or, uh, you know, important communications going on between the stations and the vehicles? Yeah, the charging stations are, are also super interesting. I mean, especially the public charging stations, as you, as you can imagine, that they're typically connected to cloud or connected via cellular networks, so, which makes them, you know, themselves uh, a, a very attractive attack surface for, for threat actors. And the majority of these, these charging stations are operating with an open protocol um, that allows them to, um, you know, be able to take many different manufacturers connecting to, you know, a single public charging station. So they have to use some level of open protocol for that. And, you know, the information that's being transferred back and forth is, you know, just being able to identify the car. But again, there is always the possibility of malware being transmitted from a car to a charging station, from a charging station to a car. And then, as you can imagine, the more and more cars that are using these public infrastructures, um, being that being a possible attack vector is, is quite um, significant. 
as an EV owner yourself, how do you approach this? I mean, it's not like uh, with a computer where you can say, hey, don't click the links. You know, like what are, are there best practices to try to, to make yourself not be the low hanging fruit? You know, this is, I knew you would ask me this question when I said I had an EV myself. <laughs> and, 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 you know, it's, it's almost a little embarrassing for, you know, someone who's been doing security for like 25 years. But I can promise you it wasn't even a consideration that I had when I was choosing my car. I wanted something that was, you know, was, uh, was, was really cool. I had a good user experience, good interface. And, you know, just the, the prospect of full autonomous driving is very exciting. So even someone like me did, definitely overlooked Security is a possible, um, you know, a possible requirement when I'm buying it. But, you know, like, I, I, I mean, there's, there's some things that you can do and some things that are harder. Like, you know, I, I typically try and stay away from public charging stations, try and charge my car at home. Uh, but when you're thinking about updates and things like that, there's not really a lot of optionality, I would say, in that. You're taking the update or you're not taking the update from, from the manufacturer. So um, at this time, there's not a lot a consumer can do. What is exciting, we are seeing a lot of focus in this area, right? So uh, Biden White House had uh, a lot of people within the EV industry uh, last, I think it was October, at the White House talking about security in the space. Uh, We've seen transportation agencies also start talking about um, security implications in the space. So I think we're going to start seeing more regulations that will help uh, manufacturers uh, start making sure that they're embedding more security. I think this is a very, very young industry. And of course, as you can imagine, with any young industry, first to market is super important. And so I think, I'm not saying security has necessarily been overlooked, but I don't think it's necessarily been a priority um, from, the, from the manufacturer's point of view. It's, it's really, you know, I, I think just with any young industry, we need to learn uh, more about security and, and how it applies to this industry to make sure we're really safeguarding um, the consumers appropriately. All right. Make sure you have your seatbelts uh, properly, properly fitted and <laughs> and secured. Right. Absolutely. Yeah. All right. Rob Boyce. Thanks so much for joining us. With over 8,000 threat hunters analyzing over 65 trillion signals daily, Microsoft works tirelessly with the federal government to keep our nation's data secure. This 30-plus-year partnership is driving mission innovation that is secure by design. Whether optimizing your existing defenses or tackling advanced threats with AI, Microsoft gives you the intelligence and the automation you need to defend at mission scale. Let's work together to stay ahead of emerging threats and secure your mission anywhere. Learn more at aka.ms slash fedcyber. That's aka.ms slash fedcyber. And that's the Cyberwire. For links to all of today's stories, check out our daily briefing at thecyberwire.com. Be sure to check out this weekend's Research Saturday and my conversation with Dick O'Brien from Symantec's Threat Hunter team. We're discussing their research, Blackfly, an espionage group targets materials technology. That's Research Saturday. Check it out. The Cyberwire podcast is a production of N2K Networks. 
proudly produced in Maryland out of the startup studios of Data Tribe, where they're co-building the next generation of cybersecurity teams and technologies. Our amazing CyberWire team is Elliot Peltzman, Trey Hester, Brandon Karp, Eliana White, Guru Prakash, Liz Irvin, Rachel Gelfin, Tim Nodar, Joe Kerrigan, Carol Terrio, Maria Vermasis, Ben Yellen, Nick Vilecki, Millie Lardy, Gina Johnson, Bennett Moe, Catherine Murphy, Janine Daly, Jim Hoshite, Chris Russell, John Petrick, Jennifer Iben, Rick Howard, Peter Kilpie, Simone Petrella, and I'm Dave Bittner. Thanks for listening. We'll see you back here next week. Managing the requirements for modern security programs is increasingly challenging and time-consuming. Enter Vanta. Vanta gives you one place to centralize and scale your security program, quickly assess risk, streamline security reviews, and automate compliance for ISO 27001, SOC 2, and more. You can leverage Vanta's market-leading trust management platform to unify risk management and secure the trust of your customers. Plus, use Vanta AI to save time when completing security questionnaires. CyberWire daily listeners can get $1,000 off by going to vanta.com cyber. That's V-A-N-T-A dot cyber.